All right, Emmaus, first off, sounding great scene together uh, this morning. I was thinking as I was standing down here, uh, for those of us who don't sing particularly well, unlike Jim, you know, those of us that don't sing particularly well, singing together, singing out loud, that's just something we would never do in our world, in our culture, unless we were gathered together like this. And so, some of you, I know, break out into song at random times during the week anyway. Uh, you're just always singing, but that's not true for, for a lot of us. But the power of being able to gather, gather together and sing those things. I was telling someone a few weeks ago that growing up in church as a kid, maybe, maybe I could tell you three sermons I heard, five sermons, you know, just in terms of those things. What I do remember, though, is I remember my dad every week with his Bible open singing these songs. And I got my voice from my dad, so it's not like he's a great vocalist, but he was there with his Bible open, singing the songs, praying with us, standing with us. That's what I remember as a kid. That's what sticks with me is that faith formation that happens. And so so good to be able to gather like this and the impact we're able to have on one another. We're not just singing by ourselves, but we're singing together. It's a good gift of, of the church. Hey, if you are helping with our offering, if you would grab a plate that's at the end of the aisle, men and women helping with the offering, if you would grab those and uh, begin to pass those plates around right now. I want to tell you first, Emmaus, thank you for giving. Thank you for the way that you give faithfully. This last week, we had 150 kids or so that were at the Ambassador Baseball Camp out of Buck Thomas. Jim did, I can't even begin to tell you guys what Jim did this last week in terms of pulling people together and pulling off this baseball camp. People kept coming up to me and saying, are you sure this is free? Are you sure this is, yeah, it is, because our church wants to be a part of this. And so several kids there at the baseball camp committing their life to Jesus, uh, that happens because of the way we give. Hey, we're about halfway through the year, just over halfway through the year, and we're only 1% off our budgeted giving amount for the year. We're giving versus budget, which is great because the first half of the year, especially the summer, is always difficult for that. And so I want to tell you thank you for that. Thank you for the way you give faithfully. Thank you for the way you give in so many different ways. Um, but you give because you want to make an impact, because you want to be involved in missions. And so Jim is going to tell you about a couple of things that are coming up this week in particular that you can be involved in if you want to get involved in missions. Thanks, Owen. Just want to remind us as a church family to continue to uh, collect backpacks. So we're continuing to do that through the month of July. Empty backpacks that we're going to be using to give away to uh, families that are in foster care, that are helping with foster care. And we'll be doing that event Sunday night, August the 4th here at the church. And so we're going to be coming back at you, asking for volunteers to, to be able to help with that. But during the month of July, we are collecting backpacks and look forward to us. Uh, I'd love to see us collect 250 to 300 backpacks. And if we don't have enough kids here, we're going to be able to take them local schools and do that uh, for that week, uh, for this next school year. Also want to remind you uh, that uh, to be praying for our Ukraine mission team. Uh, I think we've got a picture of, uh, that's not the Ukraine mission team. Uh, there we go. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> all right. Um, and uh, anyway, so our Ukraine mission team, they got uh, in. They had a little bit of a rough uh, little travel schedule. But uh, I, man, just to see how the Lord provided and cared for them. And so they're there in Lviv, Ukraine. And they're going to be working with college students over the next couple of weeks. Uh, college students that are from all over uh, Western Europe, Eastern Europe there. And uh, look forward to them just investing in those college students. So pray for these guys as they're awake. Next week, uh, you should be able to hear from them from FaceTime and, 
and uh, all of that. So we look forward to sharing that with you. And then also, just uh, coming up this week, we're going to be feeding uh, over at uh, More Faith Medical Thursday night. If you want to be able to help with that, our Med Advance Conference is uh, this next week. And then next Monday night, here's a way that you could serve. Yesterday, we had a great group of guys go out and help two single moms uh, clean up for their property. But uh, next Monday night, we are needing volunteers. We're going to care for the kids of the single moms next door at the Oklahoma Baptist Homes for Children and their HOPE program, and we're going to be caring for them here on campus from 5 to 9 p.m. next Monday, July the 22nd. And so we would love to have 25 volunteers from Emmaus that are helping to care for these kids. Uh, And uh, what's going to happen that night is their moms are going to go and they're going to shop for all their back-to-school supplies and school clothes that uh, they are uh, going to be modeling at their event uh, here coming August the 2nd uh, down at the Embassy Suite. So it's going to be a way for us to come alongside the single moms next door to be able to serve them, to care for them. And uh, look forward to us as a church family uh, getting behind them and, and just uh, praying for them and excited for that. Yeah, if you, can, uh, if you can help next Monday night with that, be sure and email Jim, jim at EmmausOKC.org, or contact Jim because if we don't already have a background check run on you, we'll need to do that. We can do that pretty quickly, uh, but we'll need to make sure that, that that's taken care of. And so if you can help with that next, next Monday night, catch Jim after the service down here or, or send him an email um, sometime this afternoon soon so we'll, we'll know how many people we have lined up for that. Hey, if you would, open your Bible to Matthew chapter 10. We are continuing, we are continuing to go through the Gospel of Matthew and so this is a long chapter. And we're going to cover the whole chapter this morning, so there will be several verses we don't give as much attention to because we want to cover this as as one chapter. So as we're working through these verses, if you have your Bible open or your kids have their Bible open, you've got your phone open working through the text, that'll help you to be able to stay on track as we're thinking through what this chapter is all about. So I want you to have that in, in front of you, and then you might have picked up one of those sermon note guides as you were coming in. Just as an illustration of what this chapter is about, just as an illustration of what this chapter is about, and I'm going to help try to tie this together, I want you to watch this quick video, not of the Ukraine team, but of, of somebody else, okay? Watch this quick video. Great moments are born from great opportunity. And that's what you have here tonight, boys. That's what you've earned here tonight. One game. If we played them ten times, they might win nine. Not this game. Not tonight. Tonight, we skate with them. Tonight, we stay with them. And we shut them down because we can. Tonight, we are the greatest hockey team. 
You were born to be hockey players. Every one of you. And you were meant to be here tonight. This is your time. Their time is done. Okay, we'll cut it there because you want to watch the whole thing. So, uh, so that clip from the, the movie Miracle, and there's actually a really interesting ESPN 30 for 30 documentary that looks at that story from, from the Russian side, uh, the Soviet side. You know what? There are few things more inspiring than a good pregame speech. Like, you think about some of these movies and the pregame speech that happens before the game. You think about maybe even some of the YouTube videos before a Little League game or a high school game that you see out there about these speeches together. I want you to have that idea in mind as we think about Matthew chapter 10. Because if you don't know a lot about Jesus, or maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, here's something I'd want you to know about Jesus. Jesus is not much for pep rallies, but he is amazing when it comes to that pregame huddle, that pregame speech. What you don't find around Jesus a lot of times is hyping up the crowd, this pep rally mentality. But what you do find in the ministry of Jesus is he gathers a few people around him, he invests in them, he speaks into their life, and then he sends them out to do what he's called them to do. And that's exactly what is happening in Matthew chapter 10. Look in verse 1. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, it says that he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Okay, let's think about the beginning of this chapter in a, in a couple of different ways, all right? In Matthew, the way that Matthew has put together his book, his gospel, is there are five main speeches, five main speaking sections. The first one was the Sermon on the Mount in 5 through 7, so this is the second one. Jesus has laid the foundation for what the kingdom of heaven is all about, what the kingdom of God is all about. And now this speech in chapter 10 is designed to send the people out to live on mission. So that's what's happening here at the beginning. When he refers to them as the 12 disciples, he is specifically thinking about the link between the 12 disciples and the 12 tribes of Israel. So what Jesus is sending the disciples out to do is in continuity with what God has always been doing through his people. He's gathered the people together. And there's a key word there. It's the word authority. And the reason the word authority matters is because in Matthew 10, 1, it says he called his disciples together and gave them authority to go out and do these things. You go to the very end of Matthew in chapter 28. Chapter 28, this passage in the Bible, Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20, is often called the Great Commission. The first commission happens in Matthew 10, as he sends out the disciples to do this work. And then you jump ahead to Matthew 28, and this becomes the Great Commission after the resurrection, going out to share this news. All authority, there's that word again, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. So if you look back at verse 1, 
you see what have they been given authority to do? What is this mission they're being called on? Well, it's a mission where it says you have authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. What's happening here? And we're going to find this several times in this chapter and several times throughout Matthew is Jesus will send out his disciples to live in the pattern of what ministry Jesus has already done. Um, I probably could have said that in a clearer way with less words. Here's the idea. If you look back at Matthew chapter 8, verses 16 through 17, and what Jesus is doing there, or you really talk about chapter 5 through chapter 9, everything that's happened up to this point with the kingdom of God being spoken and lived out, what you're going to see in chapter 10 and going forward is the ministry of the disciples matches the pattern of Jesus' ministry. That they're called to confront these spiritual powers. That they're called to bring healing and hope to the people. And what we found, here's the good thing, what we found back in Matthew chapter 8 about the healing that Jesus did is it tied into that passage in Isaiah 53 about the forgiveness of sins. And so they're doing this ministry not just to be kind to people. They're doing this ministry to show that the kingdom of God is broken into the world, that salvation has come, that forgiveness has come, that hope has come through Jesus. And so as they go out to do these things, they're confronting the powers of darkness with the kingdom of God. So they're sent out in the pattern of Jesus's ministry. You look in verse 2 there, it says the names of the 12 apostles are these. That word apostle when you break it down in the uh, original Greek language, it just means sent ones. Apostle is one who is sent, one who is sent on a mission. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot. Who betrayed him. <laughs> you want to you make a, a preacher squirm? Don't do this to me because I'm admitting it. Do it to another preacher. Ask them to name the 12 disciples or the 12 apostles. Oh man, they'll go into panic mode because uh, they're supposed to be like such an expert in the Bible and you're like, oh yeah, who are those 12 guys? There's, there's so much good study that can be done on the 12 disciples. We'll do that at some time. We don't, we don't have time to dedicate to that right now. But what you're going to see is what these 12 disciples are sent out to do as this picture of the people of God sent out on mission, it itself is going to become a pattern for all future disciples. Do they have a unique role? Sure they do, but it's also a picture and a pattern of what followers of Jesus are going to do for all of history. Okay, let's pick up in verse 5. In verse 5 it says, These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Well, that might strike you as a strange passage. Why, why would Jesus say this? Well, this is just the pattern of God's work throughout Scripture. It's the pattern of Jesus' ministry. It's the pattern of Paul's ministry, that he goes first to the Jews, to those chosen by God to be his people. So they go there but don't read these verses as the ministry stops there. So, 
Are they sent to the people of Israel? Yes, they're sent as a picture of God's people bringing the kingdom to bear. Come to Jesus. The time has come. The Messiah is here. That's what they're saying. They're confronting them with the, with the message of the Messiah. But it doesn't stop here. We've already seen in Matthew's gospel how the wise men are drawn to Jesus. They're not Jewish people. We've already seen in chapters 8 and 9 how the Roman centurion is called to Jesus. Now Jesus says many will come from the east and the west and the sons of the kingdom will actually be thrown out. We know that the whole gospel ends in chapter 28 with go to all nations. So these verses here don't mean that the message of Jesus is only for the Jewish people, but appropriate priority is given right here that the message of the Messiah has come. The Messiah has come. Respond to him. Turn to him. Verse 7. And as you go, proclaim this. Say this. What do you say? Will you say that the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. So there's a message to give. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the same message that Jesus spoke about in Matthew chapter 4. So notice the disciples are not given a different message. They're speaking the same message that Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 4, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the message they're sent to give, that the kingdom has come. And as they do that, they're supposed to show the power of the kingdom. What happens with their words should match their actions. Their actions give credibility to their words. They're meant to go together. That would be really cool if there was a church in 2019 whose motto was that we exist to proclaim and display Jesus. Oh yeah, there is. That's us, uh, Emmaus. Here's how we live. Our motto at Emmaus is that we exist to proclaim and display Jesus. I hope you hear me saying that we don't have that as our mission statement, our motto, just because we couldn't think of anything else to put there. We want that to be our mission because that matches the mission that Jesus gave to the disciples when he sent them out. Go out proclaiming my words, speaking about the power and the good news of the kingdom, and as you go, it's not just the words that you speak, but it's the life that you live. It's the ministry that you do, the service that you do. So we don't just do good things, but not speak about Jesus and we don't just speak about Jesus but fail to help anybody, those words and those actions are meant to go together. Because when our words and our actions go together, it brings credibility. It helps people to understand the words that we're saying. It helps people to put in action their own faith. So you know that through Jim's leadership and connections that Emmaus has the opportunity to do so much ministry, so much service in the community around and I hope you know that when that happens, in the background is Jim praying and saying to us over and over and over again, the reason we do this is because we want to speak to people about the good news of Jesus. So we go out proclaiming and displaying not Emmaus, but the good news of Jesus. And the cool thing about this, don't miss this, when you have this in front of you in your life and as a church, it keeps us motivated it keeps us unified. It keeps us focused. If our goal as a church is just to get you and one more person to show up next week, man, that's a strange weight to bear. Like, let's be honest that that's not much to live for. 
But if we are called by the God of the universe to proclaim and display the good news of Jesus, that's something I want to give my life to. That's something I want to be a part of. And so it draws us together, it motivates us, it unifies us, it keeps us focused that this is what we are going to be about. Our style might change, our programs might change, but we are going to do these things because this is what Jesus sent his disciples out to do. Now the question is, how? How do you do this? Well, look in the middle of verse 8, because Jesus starts to tell them, this is what it looks like if you're on mission. This is what this is all about. Middle of verse 8. You received without pain, so give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. So, the grace, the good news of Jesus is given freely, so in turn, we want to give freely. Uh, the imagery here that's used in these verses can be summarized by no greed and no worry. So as we go on mission, you in your neighborhood, you at your school, you at your workplace, Emmaus on the mission that God has given us, we should be characterized by no greed and no worry. I learned a phrase this last week that has really stuck with me. I love the, it, it may just fall like a lead balloon in the room, but that's okay. I can live with that. Um, but here's the phrase. As God's people, we should be a non-anxious presence in the world. A non-anxious presence in the world. We live in a world that has so much anxiety so much worry, so much seeking to get ahead, so much pressure, that as the people of God, on mission as part of the kingdom of God, one thing that should set us apart is we're not panicking. We're not riddled with anxiety and fear and worry. Yeah, do we face anxiety? Sure we do. But we have a hope and a foundation for dealing with those things. And so when everything around you seems to be falling apart because people are so worried, you are God's gift of a non-anxious presence for those people that you're around. No greed, no worry when we're on mission with God. Look at verse 11. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. Sometimes in, in missions language, this is talking about finding a person of peace, finding someone who is receptive to the message. Verse 14, if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Ooh, that's harsh language. What, what does this mean about the mission that Jesus is sending the disciples out on? It means their goal is not to manipulate people into a response. Their goal is equally not to give false peace. If someone rejects them as bringing the kingdom of God, they're not supposed to say, oh, that's okay, we're still with you. No, you're supposed to shake the dust off your feet and go somewhere else. There is no giving false peace. Why does this matter so much? Because we know that from the Old Testament and then some of the things that are happening in the New Testament here, one of the things that was happening is people were beginning, they were given false peace. 
Don't really worry about how you live. Don't worry about eternity. Don't, don't worry. It, it'll be okay. You're right with God. Don't worry about it. That's not the message Jesus is sending out. He's saying, do not manipulate people into response. We're not trying to manipulate people. And equally, we're not giving false peace. The message is Jesus. And as we're going to find out, that's a very divisive message. But the disciples need to be very clear about that. Because then he says in verse 15, Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town that receives this message of Jesus. Verse 16, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be wise as serpents. So, so live prudently, live, live appropriately here. Be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Continue to be pure, continue to be, to be holy. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious. Do not be afraid of how you're going to speak or what you're going to say, for that you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. Then look at verse 20. It is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Okay, so, hey, let's, let's gather up for a huddle before the game. Let's gather up. Okay, I'm going to send you guys out. Whew, you're really bad. Like, you're, you're, you're weak. <laughs> uh, you don't have much to offer. Um, you're probably going to be beaten up pretty, pretty badly. Like, this, I don't think this is going to, this is the speech we got a lot of times in high school before our games. <laughs> you're really not very good, and this is probably not going to go well, but just try hard, okay? Um, this is kind of the feeling, like, this is going to be really hard. He is preparing them for rejection. He's preparing them for the idea that as they go out, they are going to face difficulty. But when that difficulty comes, do not panic. Because the Spirit of God has not abandoned you. Spirit-empowered speaking, Spirit-empowered action. This is exactly what you see in the book of Acts. This message that's given in Matthew 10 becomes, in a sense, the outline for the book of Acts as the people continue to trust God's Spirit to lead them, to show them what they're supposed to say. Then it gets harder, more difficult in verse 21. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father, his child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Do not give up. Keep going. Verse 23. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Okay, let's stop just for a second. If you're the ask a lot of questions about the Bible type of person or, or really enjoy the research scholarly side of, of studying some of this, this is a strange verse. What does it mean that the disciples will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes? There's some confusion about that verse. Here's the way to untangle that verse if you're kind of confused about what to do with that. The key is that language about when the Son of Man comes, that's a reflection of Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, 
And it's not primarily speaking of Jesus returning at the end of time. That's not the main focus of that. When it comes, when it says when the Son of Man comes, it's coming to the Father in power. So it's speaking more about the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus after his ministry than it is about something that would happen at the end of time. And so he's telling them, you're not going to have gone through all the towns of Israel before you see the glory of my ministry come to pass. That seems to be what's happening in that verse that's a little bit confusing there. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 24. It doesn't get any easier, just to let you know. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Jesus is saying to them, if I'm mistreated, you can expect to be mistreated too. In many ways, that's the message of 1 Peter at the end of your Bible in the, in the New Testament. Very similar. If I'm mistreated, you should expect the same. So in other words, if you're a follower of Jesus and you try to speak about Jesus to other, others and they reject you, in some sense you should say, well, I wasn't surprised. Um, I, I, probably one of the best examples I've seen of this is Carl Dean, who is our senior adult and evangelism director for Emmaus. We'll go out during the month at different times and go in our neighborhoods around the church and share the gospel. And I'll get, you know, 10 doors in a row slammed in my face, and I'm just barely making it down the road. Carl gets 10 doors slammed in his face, and you would have thought he won the lottery. He's like, oh, man, the next house. Like, they're going to be so excited to hear about Jesus. And I'm like, man, Carl, I am glad I have you around. Um, and this last, this last time that we went out, Carl counted over 30 people that wanted nothing to do, and he gets to the last person, and this guy wants to hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Carl shares the gospel with him, and he hears the good news of Jesus. This idea of, don't be surprised when you're rejected. If I was mistreated, if I was rejected, you will be too, is what Jesus is saying to them. All right, verse 26. Hey, if you're a Bible underliner, Bible writer, verse 26 is your friend here to, to write something in your Bible. Verse 26 says, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Have no fear of them at the beginning of verse 26 is in the way this language is set up, it's a summary statement that explains 26 to 31 in your Bible. So do not fear or have no fear in verse 26 is a good thing to underline. And then you can just kind of wrap it down to verse 31, draw an arrow down to 31. It kind of brings all that together. Have no fear, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. Everything will come into the light one day. God is just. This is all going to come to fruition. Keep going. Don't give up. Verse 27. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear. Listen to this verse, friends, especially if you're not a follower of Jesus. Listen to this verse, verse 28. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus is telling them, if you want to have appropriate fear, and discipleship following Jesus is a lot about making sure we fear the right things. 
There's an appropriate awe or reverence for God who holds life in his hands. Don't be afraid of people that can just hurt your body but can't do anything to your soul. There's a courage that comes with this verse, but there's also a realization of what am I really living for? Am I living for this life, for this body, for these things? Or am I living for something more? What's going on here in this verse? Verse 29, lest you think you have the wrong idea of God. Look at verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? It's a little bit of Sermon on the Mount language from Matthew chapter 6 with the sparrows mentioned there. And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Okay, now this is good news for you. Matthew chapter 10, verse 30, because this is the verse you quote to everybody, but you have no idea where to find in the Bible. Like, I know somewhere in the Bible it says that God numbers the hairs of my head. I know it's in there, I just don't know where it is. It's Matthew 10, 30. It's part of this being sent out on mission by God. That the God who could sound very, very angry or judgmental, or you could get the wrong idea of God from verse 28. Verse 29 and 30 remind us that he's a God of great control, great care, great concern, great compassion. Verse 31, fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. 33, but whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. What we're beginning to see here at the end of this mission is the need for wholehearted devotion to Jesus. You're going to see some language that's going to be very hard, and you may be surprised this language even shows up in the Bible, but you're going to find a divisiveness with the ministry of Jesus coming up in these verses. Verse 34, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. Wait, time out. I know there's a Bible verse in there somewhere about Jesus came to bring peace. You're right. There, there are actually a couple of Bible verses about how Jesus came to bring peace. But not false peace. Not peace that we think is just a lack of conflict. Jesus came to bring peace with God through himself. That we have a need to be reconciled to God. And so when he says that he came to bring a sword, it's not a military sword, but it's a sword that divides between those who are wholeheartedly devoted to God through Jesus and those who reject the kingdom of God. You're going to find this in Matthew chapter 25 with the sheep and the goats, this very sharp dividing line. Matthew chapter 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, there was a narrow way and a broad way. There was a narrow gate and a broad gate. This is the idea that Jesus draws these very sharp lines between those who are committed to him and those who are not. Verse 35, I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. What's going on in those verses? Jesus does not come to poison family relationships. Jesus does not come to make these conflicts that are there worse, but he is very clear that devotion to him 
is more important than our biological family connections. That a good family is a great gift but a terrible God. That we don't live primarily for our human biological family relationships. We live primarily for him. And when we are devoted to him, you may find yourself in situations in your family that that causes division in your family. And so you seek to continue to honor your parents. You seek to display the fruit of the Spirit. You seek to speak about the things of God. L- let me say something about this as well, lest we, we cause confusion. The conflict, the division in your family should happen over devotion to Jesus not because you were a jerk about being a follower of Jesus, okay? (laughs) Let's make sure we're really clear about this. The division in your family happens because you present, you proclaim and display Jesus, and your family wants nothing to do with that, and you say, but my devotion's to Jesus. There's real conflict that happens there. Don't let the conflict happen because of how you present the things of Jesus or because you think your job as a follower of Jesus is to go in and cause more conflict. That's not what's being said here, but it is very clear about where your primary devotion is given. It's given to Jesus. And then a couple of really famous and incredible verses in verses 38 and 39. If these aren't underlined or circled, now's your chance. 38 and 39, I love these verses. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In many ways, hear me out on this, hear hear my language so it's not confusing. In many ways, the salvation speech, the gospel speech of our culture and of our world is to find yourself. There's a lot in culture about finding yourself, finding your identity, finding your center, finding your meaning. Jesus says, actually, you lose your life and then you find it. The way we find our identity, the way we find our meaning is not to go on a personal journey, it's to turn from ourselves and devote ourselves completely to him. Then our identity is in Jesus and we grow up into all that means to be on mission. And so when students, teenagers, and you guys live in the middle of this, when you live in a world where it's all about finding myself and finding my identity, the gospel message is no, it doesn't work that way. I lose my life and I ultimately find it because I give myself fully to Christ. Verse 40, whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Jesus is saying that those who receive his disciples as they come in his name are in a sense, even in that moment, receiving him. The best way I know to explain verses 40 to 42 for you is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. This is the best explanation for the way that this pregame speech ends, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. You guys bring that verse up real quick. Oh, thankfully it's there. We were going to be in trouble. 2 Corinthians 5.20. If you want to take this whole pregame speech and try to bring it around to one idea, here it is. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. 
So we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's exactly what Jesus is doing with the disciples in Matthew chapter 10. He says, I'm sending you out as my ambassadors to speak about the things of the kingdom, to display the power of the kingdom, to proclaim this message of reconciliation, and so you go as my ambassadors. So if they reject you, they are rejecting me and my kingdom as long as you are speaking about and displaying a clear picture of who I am and what my kingdom is all about. So I want you to see this last slide to kind of think about this. Who are we? Not we are Marshall, but who are we? We are disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, wholeheartedly devoted to him, sent out with his authority. If you feel strange speaking to people about Jesus, living out the Christian life, it might be because you've focused this idea that you've been sent out to sell something. You've not been sent out to sell something. You've been sent out as an ambassador with the authority of the creator of the universe to speak about and live out the good news of Jesus. So we're sent out with his authority to speak and live the kingdom. That's who we are. That's who we are as a church. That's who we are as families, as individual followers of Jesus. That's what we've been called to do. How do we do that? We do that freely. We're not manipulating people. We're not greedy. We're not anxious. We're persistent. We don't give up. Like, this is going to be hard. You're going to be rejected a lot. Life is going to be difficult, but you keep going. And we do it wholeheartedly. We are completely devoted to Jesus above anything and anyone else. Why? Because he is worthy. And his kingdom is eternal. If you don't believe that, nothing I've said before will make any difference. But if you do believe that, it will change every day of your life. That Jesus is worthy of everything you have to give. He is worthy because his life, his death, his resurrection, his eternal reign as the king of the universe. And so we are not called into a game. We're not called into a religion. We are called onto a mission where we give ourselves for the kingdom of God because it's the only way to be made right with God is through Jesus Christ. And it transforms everything about our lives and the world around us. And so we are motivated, not because we're trying to check off a religious box. We are motivated because Jesus Christ is worthy of everything we have to give. And we believe his kingdom is eternal. And so we're going to give ourselves for that because that's what we want to be a part of. And so we are going to end today by singing about how worthy Jesus is, that he is worthy of everything we have to give. And during that final song, if you need someone to pray with you, if you say, you know what, I have been going through the motions. I've never given myself to Jesus. There'll be people at the front to pray for you, or you may just want to come here and pray. You may want to sing right where you are, and when that song is finished and David says, have a good day, you may need to come down here. And pray with us, because we stay down here after the service. More than anything, let's give our lives to the mission of Jesus because he is worthy. Would you bow your heads with me at this time? Father, we are, we are motivated. We're, we get excited by these pregame speeches, and we get rallied up, and we're ready to go out as we're watching movies or we're playing games. We, we think about that excitement but God, what we find in Matthew 10 is so much more important than any game we would play. And we love games, we love sports, but this is so much more important than that.
God, this is about what it means to know and follow you. This is what it means to be a part of your people, God, that we would give ourselves to something greater, that we would not spend our lives trying to find ourselves, God, but we would turn from ourselves and find true life in Jesus Christ. God, we know that that path is not easy, that there's difficulty, there's rejection, there's trouble, there's hard relationships that come, there's misunderstanding. All those things come into play, God, but we will not give up because our eyes are focused on Jesus, because we are sent out with his authority, with his grace, with his power. God, I pray that those things are true of Emmaus. I pray they're true of our lives individually. God, would you do that work in our lives, even as we sing this final song together? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.